This is VOA News via remote. I'm Tommy McNeil. AP correspondent Jackie Quinn reports that the Pentagon is expected to announce additional aid to Ukraine in a $275 million package. Speaking on condition of anonymity, say there are no major new weapons in this latest U.S. aid package. They say the aid is largely aimed at restocking thousands of rounds of ammunition for weapon systems already there, including the high-mobility artillery rocket systems, which Ukraine has been using successfully in its counteroffensive against Russia. That is AP correspondent Jackie Quinn reporting. Ukrainian forces attacked Russia's hold on the uh, southern city of Kyrgyzstan on Thursday while fighting intensified in the country's east. The battles came amid reports that Moscow appointed authorities have abandoned the city, joining tens of thousands of residents who fled to other Russia-held areas. Ukrainian forces were surrounding Kyrgyzstan from the west and attacking Russia's foothold on the west bank which uh, divides the uh, region and the country. As the battles unfolded, the Russian president, Vladimir Putin, said that Moscow has no intention to use nuclear weapons in Ukraine, despite issuing repeated warnings in the past that he was prepared to use all available means to defend Russia, including its nuclear arsenal. Rishi Sunak has faced opposition in Parliament for the first time as Britain's Prime Minister, promising to restore economic stability after his predecessor's tax plans triggered market tumults. Uh, Sunak ripped up more of the predecessor Liz Truss's flagship policies Wednesday, uh, reinstating an, uh, a moratorium on uh, fracking for uh, shale that uh, Truss had lifted. This is VOA News. Cuba is now facing its second fuel shortage in seven months as long lines develop around the country. Havana filling stations, VOA's Marissa Melton tells us more. The lines came a day after state-run Cuba Petroleum Union, or CUPIT, announced a deficit in the availability of fuel. In a statement published on Twitter, CUPIT blamed the deficit on logistical difficulties and higher-than-usual demand. Communist-led Cuba is facing its worst economic crisis in nearly three decades due to the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic and U.S. sanctions. The distribution crisis comes almost three months after a major fire at a storage plant. The fire killed 17 people, destroyed four megatanks of oil, and caused $100 million in losses of fuel alone. Marissa Milton, VOA News. A Tennessee man who dragged a police officer into the Capitol riot mob will have to serve time in federal prison. AP correspondent Norman Hall. Federal Judge Amy Berman Jackson sentenced Albuquerque Cosper Head to seven years in prison, followed by three years of supervised release. Judge Jackson said Head's actions were some of the darkest acts committed on one of the nation's darkest days. Metropolitan Police Department Officer Michael Fanone was on the front lines of the battle for control of a Capitol tunnel entrance when Head grabbed him. Head restrained Fanone while other rioters beat and shot the officer with a stun gun at the base of his skull. Fanon says that caused him to have a heart attack and traumatic brain injury. Norman Hall, Washington. Two people familiar with the deal say that Elon Musk is now in control of Twitter and has ousted the CEO, the chief financial officer, and the company's chief lawyer. The people would not say if all the paperwork for the sale originally valued at $44 billion had been signed or if the deal had closed. Neither person wanted to be identified because of the sensitive nature of the personal moves. 
The uh, departures come just hours before the deal was expected to be finalized on Friday, the deadline set by a Delaware judge who threatened to schedule a trial if no agreement had been reached. Two NASA spacecraft at Mars have recorded the biggest meteor strikes and impact craters yet. Scientists reported Thursday that last year's barrages sent seismic surface waves rippling thousands of miles across Mars, the first ever detected near the surface of another planet. The impacts carved out craters nearly 500 feet across. Recapping our top story. Uh, The Pentagon is expected to announce additional aid to Ukraine in a $275 million package. There is more at voanews.com. Again, voanews.com via remote. I'm Tommy McNeil, VOA News. Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I am James Barty in Washington. Today is Friday, October 28th, and here are some of the stories we are covering. Ethiopia Tigray peace talks continue today in South Africa. There are signs to hope for cessation of hostilities, but there are also warning signs that nothing might come out of South Africa. Nigeria Central Bank to replace the Naira notes with new ones to reduce inflation and crime. Kenya takes steps to diagnose breast cancer faster. We look at key races in the coming November 8th U.S. midterm elections. Africa makes another attempt at peace in Russia's war on Ukraine. If there is peace, Africa can have access not only to the maize, to the wheat, but also to the fertilizers that are really useful for the continent. And our profiles of the first annual Africa Digital Innovation Competition for the Continent Startups. Those stories, plus Samsung O'Malley Sports, are coming up on Daybreak Africa. Talks between the Ethiopian government and the Tigray People's Liberation Front, the TPLF, continue today in South Africa. The talks, sponsored by the African Union, come at a time that Ethiopian forces, supported by Eritrea, appear to be making gains on the battlefield. Reuters news agency reported this week that the opposition Oromo Liberation Front and Oromo Liberation Army both accused the Ethiopian army of carrying out airstrikes in the Oromia region. At the same time, there has been silence at the South African talks. Ezekiel Gebisa is an Ethiopian-born academic and professor of history and African studies at Catherine University in the state of Michigan. He tells me the lack of information from South Africa could either mean progress or no progress. However, he says it is good that both sides are talking and that nothing short of a cessation of hostilities will be acceptable. What I know is that they're talking. This is their second or third day. The Ethiopian delegation and the Tigray delegation, they are in South Africa, they are talking. I think the international pressure on the government of Ethiopia is increasing. The United States is engaged. Secretary of State himself, Antony Blinken, has apparently tightened the news around the Ethiopian government to relent. They want a cessation of hostilities. They want the war to stop. And to that effect, the Secretary of State had called the Kenyan president before the start of the the talks, had spoken to the foreign minister of South Africa, 
And now there are reports that the Secretary of State has also spoken to other middle power countries that have stake in this war and have been supporting the Ethiopian government. So they are talking means that the United States is now deeply engaged in this. There are signs to hope for cessation of hostilities, but there are also warning signs that nothing might come out of South Africa. Professor, we've tried to make contact with officials involved in the talks, but nothing much is coming out of South Africa. What does that mean? Does that suggest progress or lack of progress? Um, It could go either way. It could be that they're engaged in serious discussions of the issues that separate them, or it simply means that they are playing games against each other, not to be cornered into um, a corner. It could mean either way, but I think they are talking, in my view, that they are talking is that the United States has stepped up its pressure. The EU is conspicuously absent because the EU external affairs chief has been um, unapologetic about calling that the Ethiopian government must stop the operations in northern Ethiopia. So he's pushed aside. So, like I said, that they are talking is important. From the talks, something important might emerge. Nothing else but the cessation of hostilities. Yeah, talking about what's going on on the ground, Reuters reported on Thursday about Ethiopian airstrikes in some parts of the Oromia region. What does that do for the talks going on in South Africa? Yeah, that's one of the things that those of us who observe day-to-day changes in Ethiopia have been saying that there is a civil war in Ethiopia all around. The conflict is not between Tigray and the central government alone. There is conflict between the central government and the Oromia region where the Oromo Liberation Army had been operating and extending the areas of operation. There is a conflict with, in Gambela, there is conflict in Benishangul Gumuz. There is also conflict between the Somali region. There are signs of instability in that as well. So what Ethiopia needs to have sustainable peace is an all-rounded conference that involves all parties. Ethiopian government does not want to do it this way. Ezekiel Gebeza is an Ethiopian-born professor of history and African studies at Kettering University in the state of Michigan. He was speaking with us from Flint, Michigan. This week, Economic Community of West African States ECOWAS chairperson and president of Guinea-Bissau, Umaro Siseko Mbalo, was in Russia and Ukraine to press both countries on a peaceful resolution to the war in Ukraine so that the shipment of wheat and grain to the world may resume. At the same time, a peace and security conference in Senegal this week showed what seems to be a rift between some African countries and the West. Senegalese political analyst Ibrahim Khan tells me that while Africa adheres to the principle of territorial integrity, at the same time it is trying to protect its own economic interest. It tells you about how Africa is trying to play an important role in the current crisis to make sure that uh, the war doesn't have a bad effect on the economic situation on the continent at the moment, because if there is peace... Africa can have access not only to the maize, to the wheat, but also to the fertilizers that are really useful for the continent. In the meantime, do you feel that this is creating some kind of um, a rift or division between, say, the West and uh, Africa? Well, I think for the first time, 
Africa is really trying in this type of crisis to defend its own interests. Let me put it in this way. All African countries have said many times that this war is not a war for Africa. It's a war between Western countries, and Africa has nothing to do with it. And even Africa is victim of the war because some of the effects of the war are bad for the economy, for access to the food security, and other stuff. That's one thing. I think the second reason, in my view, why African countries don't want to be involved They've seen the kind of investment, the kind of military effort, the kind of money that the European countries have spent to support Ukraine in its war against Russia. When a few years ago, the same African countries were asking European countries to help in supporting their effort in the war in the Sahel region, they didn't receive any money or they receive only peanuts, while billions of U.S. dollars or euros are spent for the Ukraine. At the same time, is it fair to argue that perhaps Africa, while it has such positions, the West may argue that, hey, Africa, we are always there for you, so you must stand with us. You know, uh, what you are saying is exactly what President Macron said uh, during the UN General Assembly saying that all African countries, the rest of the world, should take the side of European and Ukrainian in this war against Russia. But as I told you earlier, African countries are refusing. Yes, they condemn any occupation. They condemn any attack on the independence or the territorial integrity of uh, Ukraine, because these are the principles that African shares the most in the Constitutive Act of the African Union. Those uh, principles are clearly mentioned. But having said that, on the other aspect of the war, African countries are feeling that it's not their war. It's the war between two European countries or even between the West and the East, if I can put it in that way, and they have nothing to do, but they have everything to lose. Thank you so much again. It's always a pleasure to talk with you, and we appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me to, to your uh, program. Ibrahim Akam is a Senegalese political analyst. He was speaking with us from the Senegalese capital, Dakar. listening to Daybreak Africa on the Voice of America. I am James Button, Washington. Today is Friday, October 28th. Still to come on our program, Samson O'Malley Sports. Breast cancer is the most common form of the illness in women and the most frequently diagnosed worldwide. It is also the leading form of cancer in deaths among women, both globally and in Kenya. About 68% of all breast cancer cases in Kenya are diagnosed in its advanced stages, with nearly half of those stricken dying from the disease. But the government and the World Health Organization are taking steps to diagnose and treat cancer. Maureen Ojiambo has more from Nairobi. October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month an annual campaign to raise awareness about the impact of breast cancer. The World Health Organization's Global Breast Cancer Initiative, established in 2021, aims at reducing breast cancer by 2.5% per year. 
Kenya's Ministry of Health says 6,000 cases are diagnosed each year with 2,500 breast cancer-related deaths taking place. Catherine Nyongesa is a radiation oncologist at Texas Cancer Center in Kenya. Knowing how your breasts normally look and feel is an important part of your breast health. Although having regular screening tests for breast cancer is important, mammograms do not find every breast cancer. The most common symptom of breast cancer is a new lump or mass, although most breast lumps are not cancer. The economic burden of breast cancer in Kenya is substantial and reflects healthcare spending, as well as a lost productivity due to illness and premature deaths. Mildred Ngesa is a 47-year-old mother of two who was diagnosed with breast cancer last year. I was minding my own business. Never ever imagined that I would be diagnosed with a disease like cancer. It was, of course, devastating, meaning that I'm still battling. I have had cancer treatment for a whole year. That's in 2021. I am currently on medication. That's going to take like another five years. The battle has not been easy. Cancer strikes and it strikes not only you, it strikes your family, it strikes your children, it strikes everybody. Globally, 93% of breast cancer patients are women with men accounting for only 7%. Dr. Nyongesa says women are the most affected in Kenya. Breast cancer is rare in men. It accounts for about 1% of all the breast cancers, which means 99% of breast cancer occur in women. The World Health Organization provides guidance to governments across the world on ways to strengthen systems for detecting, diagnosing and treating breast cancer. And Kenya's Ministry of Health is already increasing screening and diagnostic services in national and county facilities countrywide to help reduce the burden of the disease. Reporting for VOS Daybreak Africa, I am Moreno Giombo in Nairobi, Kenya. Control of the U.S. Congress is at stake on November 8 when American voters will elect new representatives of the House and Senate. As VOA's congressional correspondent Catherine Gibson explains, just a handful of races across the country will decide whether Democrats remain in power or Republicans win the majority. After months of campaigning and with millions of voters, just a handful of states will decide if Democrats keep their slim majorities in both the U.S. House and the U.S. Senate. President Biden campaigning in Pennsylvania, one of just a few key Senate races out of the 35 this year that are still too close to call. And where Democrat John Fetterman is facing health concerns about a recent stroke. But it knocked me down, but I'm going to keep coming back up. Fetterman going up against Republican candidate Dr. Mehmet Oz, who has been endorsed by former President Donald Trump. Dr. Mehmet Oz, Republican Senate candidate. I would support Donald Trump if he decided to run for president. All right, But this is bigger than one candidate. This is a much bigger story about how we are going to build a bigger tent to let more Americans feel safe. Polling shows the race for control of the Senate is so tight, there is no advantage for either party. Even though conventional wisdom says that Republicans should benefit from having a Democrat in the White House. George Washington University's Casey Burgatt.
You can just check back throughout history with very, very few exceptions. After the first couple years of a, the, the president's first two term, that, that party just loses power, that people look back, they see a record, and almost all of the campaign promises are not fully met yet. And so people get uh, a little frustrated and add that with uh, some troubling economic numbers with the, mm-hmm. with inflation and gas prices up until now, people really hitting getting hit within their pocketbooks. But in the southern state of Georgia, where early voting is already underway, social issues have also played a role in the race. Republican candidate Herschel Walker denying allegations he paid for a girlfriend to have an abortion. Republican Senate candidate Herschel Walker. The abortion thing is false. It's a lie. Polls show a close race between Walker and Democratic Senator and former pastor Raphael Warnock. Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock. I think that part of the problem with our politics right now is that it's become too much about the politicians. And in the southwestern state of Arizona, immigration is a key concern. Democrats Mark Kelly distancing himself from Biden's border policies. Democratic Senator Mark Kelly. I've been strong on border security and I've stood up to Democrats when they're wrong on this issue. It sounds like including, by the way, yes, including the president. His Republican opponent, Blake Masters, like many Trump-endorsed candidates around the country, continues to claim fraud spoiled the 2020 election, even though numerous lawsuits over the issue all failed in court. Republican Senate candidate, Blake Masters. I suspect President Trump would be in the White House today if big tech and big media and the FBI didn't work together to put the thumb on the scale to get Joe Biden in there. All 435 U.S. House seats are also up for re-election this year. Currently, Democrats hold an eight-seat majority in the lower chamber. Katherine Gibson, VOA News, Washington. The U.S. Africa Business Center of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce is holding its first Africa Digital Innovation Competition for Africa Startups. VOA is working as a media partner with the African Business Center on the initiative. Out of 17,000 candidates in 50 countries in Africa, the top 10 finalists have been decided. And for the next two weeks, we'll bring you a look at each one. Today, we hear from Ryan Katayi of Zimbabwe. Startups and small and medium-sized enterprises are changing the way Africa does business through innovation and technology. From agriculture, telecommunication, health, and so many sectors, young entrepreneurs are infusing vibrancy and energy into the African economy. Big business is watching and ready to support. Through the 2022 Africa Digital Innovation Competition, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and its prestigious partners are providing cash awards and mentorship support to three of Africa's top innovators chosen from 17,000 candidates from 50 countries in North, Central, East, West, and Southern Africa. The Voice of America interviewed the top 10 candidates from where the finalists will be picked. Here is one of them. My name is Ryan Katai. I'm age 26. I'm from Zimbabwe, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of FarmHut. By applying to this competition that was continental, um, it was a matter of us putting us on a bigger stage where we would actually see what the external environment thinks about what we're doing um, and the validation also proving to us exactly the potential that we actually have. For us, it really meant a lot, um, especially with the morale of the team, uh, given that, you know, it's, it's like a stamp 
to be told that what you're doing qualifies of all the thousands that applied this year. Uh, but then to me personally, it meant that we were on the right path and keeping on going on that path meant that, you know, we're meant for greater things that we also envision as well. So FarmHeart is a business-to-business agri-tech startup um, that is focused on connecting farmers to retailers, restaurants, schools, and other companies. Um, What we're doing is that we're ensuring that our farmers earn more, um, whilst also restaurants, retailers, and all those other businesses that we're supplying to are paying less. By so doing, we're ensuring that they have an increase in household incomes and also find better economic opportunities as well through their farming businesses. Looking at the stories that we get from the farmers that we work with um, daily, and some of them even come to us after probably three months, some even a year, um, you'd get that it's not just about the money that they're getting through, but then, you know, we've actually improved their social lives. Um, you know, now most of them can afford to even come to a rally. They can afford to access health care. And we work with more women than men. Um, so you find that it's, it's not an easy industry for a woman to be operating in and having to be working with them. We've also noted that it, it has helped them a lot, especially when it comes to contributing economically to the country as well. If I'm the one who received the notification, it would be to tell my team. Obviously, my team is going to talk about us celebrating. Obviously, we're going to do that. Um, but then I think I'm going to give tribute to my grandmother. Um, she is the one person who really motivates me to wake up every day and keep doing what I'm doing. That will be the steps of what we do. Um, everything we do, we do it as a team because we believe you know, we can't get anywhere without each other. So it, they're the first people that I'll inform. Then I'll get personal with myself and be happy. That was Ryan Katai of Zimbabwe. His company is one of the 10 finalists in the Africa Digital Innovation Competition for African Startups, organized by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce's U.S. Africa Business Center. It's time now for Daybreak Africa Sports, and here is something O'Malley in Abuja, Nigeria. A very good Friday morning to you, something. Good Friday morning to you too, James. We begin the sports with the CAF Beach Soccer African Cup of Nations, where Senegal took an important step towards revalidating their title after beating host Mozambique 3-2 in the second semi-final of the Beach Soccer African Cup of Nations Mozambique 2022. The Lions of Taranga will face Egypt in the final on Friday. Egypt had qualified for the final after beating Morocco 5-2 in the semi-finals on Wednesday. Incidentally, the final will be the replay of the Safa Cup Beach Soccer Tournament where Senegal got the better of the Egyptians 5-4. And now to women's football. The Nigerian national under-17 women's team, the Flamingos, will take on European champions Germany in the third-place match of the FIFA under-17 women's World Cup taking place in India. The Germans, who narrowly lost to Spain 1-0 in the second semi-final, defeated the Flamingos in their opening group game of the tournament. Despite their high expectations, the Nigerian girls succumbed to their counterparts from Colombia 6-5 on penalties in the first semi-final played on Wednesday. And now to basketball news. Group C of the 2022 Road to Basketball African League Tournament brings together East Africa's strongest teams and Southern Africa's Metro Magic of Zambia. Tanzania became the host of Group C after a change in the host country from Uganda. The four Group C teams will be vying for a sport in the Elite 16 leg of the Road to Baal 
tournament, which tips off on Friday. Staying with basketball news, Toronto Raptors president and Nigerian-born Masai Ujiri has been fined $35,000 for approaching the scorer's table and directing inappropriate remarks towards a game official. The punishment was announced on Wednesday by Brian Spiro, president of the NBA League Operations. The incident occurred during the Raptors' 112-109 loss to the Miami Heat on Saturday, October 22 at the FTX Arena. In rugby news, Kenya Lionesses first test during the Rugby Africa Women's Cup 2022 Pool B will be against Zambia Eagles on Saturday evening. In addition to Zambia, Kenya will take on internal rivals Uganda with all three eyes set on the pool's top sport that keeps their Rugby World Cup qualification campaigns on track. Head coach Dennis Koelia Mwanja has handed four rookies their first national team call-ups after impressing during training. In cricket news, Zimbabwe pulled off a stunning one-run upset over Pakistan in Perth on Thursday to put the Asian giants in danger of an early exit from the 2020 World Cup. Zimbabwe were restricted to 130-8 to after electing to bat first, but their bowlers choked Pakistan to 129-8 to for a memorable win in the Super 12 match in Perth. And that's it for Daybreak Africa Sports. I am Samson Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. It's back to you, James, in Washington. Thank you, Samson. Have a nice weekend. And that's it for this Friday, October 28th edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for spending your week with us. For more Africa news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are also on YouTube, where you can watch our TV shows, Africa 54, Straight Talk Africa, and Red Carpet. On behalf of the Daybreak Africa crew, I am James Barty in Washington, wishing you a great weekend. Hello, I'm Carol Castiel. Haiti in free fall. Criminal gangs are plunging the country into chaos by blocking the main fuel terminal, engaging in kidnappings, assassinations, looting, rapes, and the destruction of property. We speak with Keith Mines of the U.S. Institute of Peace about how to best address the deteriorating political, economic, and security situation in Haiti next on Press Conference USA on The Voice 